we find ourselves in the midst of the three weeks and on the cusp of the more intensive nine days, a mournful period that coincides each year with the middle of the summer. The span commemorates the destruction of both ancient holy temples, as well as numerous other historical calamities, such as major pogroms and the commencing of World War I. And it is regarded, theologically, as the root source of all Jewish suffering and dislocation throughout time. In fact, even though we currently enjoy a flourishing modern state of Israel, and the physical condition of world Jewry is not as dire as it has been in other epochs, we nevertheless remain in exile. The Temple Mount sits idle of Jewish presence, and the world remains quite distant from an ultimate position of peaceful and pure divine consciousness. As modern Americans, though, with our decidedly first world problems, we struggle annually to connect with this call to national mourning against the sunny backdrop of summer living. This particular year, perhaps we can relate more readily than at other times, given the spate of tragedies in recent months, from the Mayron stampede to the Surfside collapse, and more still in between. When contemporary heartbreak encroaches, we can perceive it as part of the historical flow of Jewish time in its march towards a redemptive future. Personally, I experienced a fairly banal, yet still poignant, exile moment just a few weeks ago. With great success against COVID-19, Israel had finally planned to open its borders to individual tourists, that is, non-citizens, and those traveling outside of an organized group framework, as of July 1st. A month ago, as soon as I read that announcement, I purchased late July tickets for my wife and myself, eager to visit after a long, pandemic-induced hiatus. Then came Delta. The variants, not the airline. The newly installed Israeli government postponed the border relaxation policy by at least a month, abrogating my trip in the process. I'm sure it wasn't personal. For the first time I can remember, I was unable to enter the land of Israel at will. The feelings of helplessness, of frustration, of longing have attached me viscerally to the spirit of the three weeks period, to the exilic reality in which we continue to exist. This condition, in esoteric terms, is captured in this week's Torah portion. The narrative outlines 42 way stations where the nation rested during its 40-year journey from Egypt to Israel, and the medieval interpreters struggle to understand why so much detail is included. After all, as the saying goes, the Torah is not a history book, and real estate in the greatest of books is precious indeed. The Akedah commentary explains that each location represents a kindness that God provided to his people in that specific place, serving as a trigger of sorts for future gratitude. Tosafot argue that, since Jewish law prescribes a special blessing when passing the scene of an ancestor's salvation, knowing these reference points would allow future generations of Jews to recite these benedictions. But later, Hasidic masters construe these 42 stops as a metaphor, presaging the people's preambulations throughout history. The Jewish saga comprises a series of sojournings from country to country, century after century. And though we have achieved some measure of stability, we have not yet arrived. Strikingly, the number 42 appears again later in our Parsha, in connection with the special cities designated for the Levites. And actually, as theoretical physicist and founder of the Quantum Torah series, Dr. Alexander Poltorek notes, the integer finds many expressions across Jewish mystical tradition. For example, the manna descended after it had journeyed through 42 stages. There are notably 42 lines in each column of a Torah scroll, and both the hand and head to fill in each contain the name of God 21 times, 
totaling 42 between them. Most importantly, one of God's most holy and ineffable names is known as the 42-letter name. When Moshe encounters God in the desert and asks for his name to communicate it thereafter to the nation in Egypt, God responds, Ekia asher ekia, I will be what I will be. On this point, the Talmud remarks, I will be is the numerical value of 21, and I will be what I will be is twice that, or 42. This refers to the long version of the holy name, which has 42 letters. Finally, the foundational Kabbalistic text, the Zohar, asserts that God created the world with this 42-lettered name. So, we find that this particular number alludes both to God's creation and to his mysterious stewardship of the world. Given our 42 posts along the rambling pathway to the promised land, it seems that our status as a wandering people is somehow baked in to creation itself. We may not comprehend our perennial transience, but can find comfort in its very incomprehensibility. In 1979, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy informed us that the ultimate answer to life, the universe, and everything is 42. Thousands of years prior, the Torah already exposed the depth of this number and its prescience for a long-displaced but never-forgotten chosen people. Shabbat Shalom.